Hello, and welcome to another episode of DW Fast Track, the podcast where lawyers discuss all things legal and trending. My name is Stuart Scott, and I'm a member in the Dickinson Wright Nashville office. And I'm Lynn Syrick, a member in Dickinson Wright's Troy office. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing the do's and don'ts of divorce. Lynn, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice? Sure, Stuart. I would be happy to do that. I have been specializing in family law for almost 32 years now. I cover all areas of family law, which is anything from issues created before a marriage to post-marriage issues. So that means prenuptial agreements, step-parent adoptions, traditional divorces involving custody, parenting time, child support, complex divorces involving complicated property settlements and business valuations, in addition to post-judgment issues which arise in various forms where individuals may want to modify custody or parenting time or enforce a judgment of divorce when one party isn't doing what they should. I've been doing this for, I'm in my 35th year of practicing now and been helping folks through the process of unwinding marriages or even talking them out of it and staying married uh, for quite a while now as well. Not my first rodeo, as we might say. That kind of leads us into the, the first area here, which is managing expectations. I find that probably one of the most critical elements of divorce and about divorce and about controlling how much money you're going to spend, how much heartache you're going to have actually happens before the divorce ever starts. And it's in your expectations and managing. So I give an example. If a painter comes to my house and says, hey, I'll I'll paint it and I'm going to get it done. And they tell you four weeks, they get it done in two weeks. You're really, really happy. They tell you that same four weeks and they get it done in six weeks. You're really unhappy. So it's all about your expectations. It's what you expect on the front end and what you think the person is going to do and what you think you should do. One of the ways that, that that really affects people in divorce is they walk in and they are told by other people, very well-intentioned people, family members, people who love them, what they should and shouldn't expect. And they automatically start off with these benchmarks of what they should and shouldn't do. And a lot of them are wrong. So the first thing you should do in divorce is actually understand what's realistic and fair to expect in the process. And you do that by asking your lawyer, not by asking your, your friend or your sister's cousin's uncle. And they're, they may be well-meaning, but they may also really set you up for failure. And so what you want to do is you want to understand what is realistic to expect during the process. And anybody who comes and tells you, I think I know what you should expect. If they're not your lawyer, you should ask them where they went to law school. Stuart, those are terrific points. It really is so important to find the right attorney and find that perfect fit, which involves personalities, but also finding the skilled attorney who specializes in family law. You want to find the attorney that is active in the community and within the bar. When I say bar, I'm not talking about our local watering holes, but active in legal affairs and legal associations. Does the lawyer know the courts well? Every court has their own nuances. So depending upon which county you reside, you want to make sure that that lawyer is active in that specific county. 
does your attorney or prospective attorney present at various legal conferences? Have they won awards? And first and foremost, you have to have a perfect fit with that lawyer. You want to feel comfortable with that lawyer. And as Stuart said, you don't want an attorney that just tells you everything you want to hear. And if your attorney starts the conversation of you're going to win, things of that nature that are aggressive and contain absolute promises, that's not the right attorney because we can't predict with absolute certainty what will occur in your divorce. Every divorce is very fact-specific. It involves the law in your state, but also the facts and circumstances of your marriage. And again, as Stuart said, that's why it's so important not to listen to your friend's advice about their divorce or your family member's advice. You will drive yourself crazy. So find the right attorney and then listen to your attorney. Those are great points, Lynn. They really are. I think what you should do is take love from the people that are your family members, but not legal advice. A couple other points that I think are important to consider pre-divorce. One is with children. You got to understand and keep your eye on the prize. You know, like I said, I've been practicing law 35 years. I've never one time had a person come to me and say, you know what? I really want to do something harmful to my kids. Never. But they do. And here's what all psychologists will pretty much tell you is that a kid's job is to love their mom and their dad. And a parent's job is to let a kid do their job. I don't care how acrimonious the divorce is. Whatever the the two things are between you guys, the kids should not be involved. Their job is to love both parents. And you are the benchmark. You are the standard that they look to for appropriate behavior. If you are fussy about or negative towards your spouse, the psychologist will tell you the child internalizes that personally. If a father speaks ill of a mother or if a mother speaks ill of a father, the child internalizes it personally. And by speaking ill of the spouse, you're not making yourself look good. You're hurting your child. Don't do that. If there's anything you remember out of this entire podcast, remember that. The second thing is pre-divorce. Be financially organized. Finances are all over the board with human beings. One person controls all the finances. Some people share completely. Some people hide everything. Some people consider this mine, that theirs. Whatever that is, it doesn't matter. When you start the divorce process, I'm only licensed in Tennessee, but it's pretty much true everywhere I've seen. There's financial transparency. So you're going to find out the information. So start out doing the homework and don't make the lawyer charge you by the hour to do it. Get together your most recent paycheck stubs if you work outside the home. Get your bank statements together, your retirement, your assets and liabilities. Because one thing that the lawyers are going to be looking at is dividing them up. Well, guess what all the courts tell you is that you got to know what they are in order to do it. And so you can do some homework and just start collecting it. Uh, Tax returns are a great way to do this, too. You can look on the tax returns and you can get them even if your spouse doesn't want you to. A lot of people don't realize that when one of you goes to an account, an account works for both of you. And so you can usually get them from them. And if you have trouble, just get a list of them. So let's say you're the spouse that has no knowledge of of finances whatsoever. You don't know what, what he or she has, where it's hidden, what accounts. Just get a list of what you know and bring it to your lawyer. Start the homework early and that will help your lawyer. Another thing that you can do is think about prior to the divorce or prior to the filing, who wants the house if you own a house together? Is it important to you? Is it something that you can agree upon with your spouse ahead of time? Or are you going to sell the house? 
if you're going to sell the house, that's easier. You just want to find a good realtor and get that process started. But if one of you is going to keep it, you can start doing some legwork and get a market analysis or hire a certified real estate appraiser to provide a value if you can't agree upon a value to be used when the assets are divided. And we don't want to get too much into the weeds here about property settlement and property division because that's for you and your attorney. And again, it's very fact-specific, dependent upon your divorce. But what I wanted to touch on, which Stuart touched on so very well, is what is really so important if your divorce involves minor children. And even if your children are adults when you divorce later in life, do your best to keep the kids out of it, regardless of what your spouse did. And I say that from a personal perspective and a professional perspective. Calling the other parent names or disparaging the other parent in the presence of the minor children or fighting in front of the minor children will damage your children irreparably. These conversations that Stuart and I are having right now involve divorces where there is not domestic violence. If you have domestic violence, besides ensuring your safety, there will be different parameters for you as it relates to interacting with this parent, depending on those circumstances. As far as putting your children first, a few things you can do is tell the children together. That way you present a united front. You can consult a therapist or a psychologist or psychiatrist on how best to do that given your family circumstances. And maybe tell them when you've determined what the plans may be. In other words, is mom going to keep the home and dad or another mom is going to find a new home that the children can be excited about? Those are all things you can discuss with the kids in a united way, but also which may alleviate some of their anxiety and concern about what's going to happen to us next. Assure them that, yes, your family will be different, but you're still a family. It's just a different type of family. And to that end, greet each other. When I say each other, greet the other parent in the presence of the kids with a smile. If you can manage a hug or a physical gesture that you previously used, go ahead and do that. But be pleasant to the other spouse. Sit together at sporting events and extracurricular activities if you can. And again, this presumes there's no domestic violence. Buy the kids duplicate items at both homes so they don't have to travel with a suitcase and feel like a guest in either home. These are all things that you can do to make things easier for the kids, but also you make it easier on yourself. Stuart and I were just talking about the fact that we both are able to be with our children and our former spouses in a pleasant, relaxed setting so there's no stress for them. And our kids, who are older now, don't have to worry about stress or the anxiety of mom and dad getting into a fight or behaving poorly. It makes your life easier. You're not carrying around a heart full of hate, and it will help them immeasurably. Thanks, Lynn. I know sometimes there's a lot of emotion that goes into these things, and so they just take a minute. And that's kind of a nice segue to go into during divorce couple things about during the divorce process. One thing is knowing how to best communicate with your lawyer. 
your lawyer is not cheap. I don't care who they are. <laughs> I'm certainly not talking about Lynn. I, maybe I'm talking about myself, but but we all cost a lot of money. And, and money is one of the stress issues during divorce. Knowing how to communicate with your lawyer can save you money. So first of all, understand the difference between your lawyer, their paralegal, and their secretary. The lawyer will oftentimes give you advice, and if they don't, they should, and say, look, these are paralegal questions, these are secretarial questions, these are lawyer questions. Those aren't to blow you off. They're actually to help you save money. Talk with your lawyer about what are lawyer questions, what are paralegal questions, what are secretary questions. Secretaries are sometimes free. Paralegals are much less expensive than the lawyer, and sometimes a paralegal is better than I am at doing certain things and more efficient about it. So understand that difference. The second thing is one call about 10 things is 10 times better than 10 calls about one thing. <laughs> so if you're thinking about things during the day, he's doing this to me, I want to do this, just write it down somewhere that's safe and then make one call about several things if it's not an emergency rather than a bunch of calls over and over again because we lawyers are on the phone half our days, if not more, and we have to bill for that and it adds up quick. So how you communicate with your lawyer uh, is very important during the divorce process. Communication is so important, Stuart. That's really a great, a great point. And to that end, one thing I always tell my clients at the beginning is be careful what you put in writing. And that means anything handwritten, email, text. You want to be assured that what you put in writing to your spouse or about the divorce can be read aloud in open court and isn't going to paint you in a bad light that may not capture who you really are. It may paint you as an angry or dishonest person. So if your spouse sends you a nasty text or sends an email that pushes a button, try not to react, take the high road, always. And also be very careful about recording devices. Every state has different rules. In some states, it's legal to record a phone conversation if there are only two participants to that conversation. But that might also violate a federal wiretapping or eavesdropping law. So ask your attorney about recording if that becomes necessary. And when communicating, as Stuart said, if you can't be nice and an argument ensues and things look like they're going to escalate, as long as you've ensured the safety of the kids, if you have minor children, leave. Get yourself out of the situation before it escalates or before somebody threatens to call the police and does call the police because sometimes in those instances, the wrong party gets arrested because the police don't know what happened and they arrive based on a phone call and maybe make an assumption. Be careful how you communicate and if things escalate, get out if you can. Couldn't agree more. I have this little lecture that that I give sometimes is the difference between May can and should. And a lot of people don't even know the difference between may and can. Everybody knows the difference between should, but may is like permission and can is able. May I go to the bathroom, can you slam dunk a basketball? Which, by the way, I cannot do uh, <laughs> without a trampoline. But Me either. <laughs> but the difference between just because you can do something during divorce doesn't mean you should do something during divorce. And one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is find out what they can do, and because they can, they do it without finding out if they should or even if they may. May is a permission thing. For example, here in Tennessee, there is a set of mandates that happens the second a divorce lawsuit is filed, and many people don't know that. They're called the statutory mandates, and all they are is a bunch of rules that you must obey. 
Now, you may not obey those rules, but I will tell you that can put you in jail. And that applies to anybody, doctors, lawyers, anybody else. So, for example, you can't take a spouse off an insurance policy during a divorce here in Tennessee after it started. You can't take people off accounts. You, you can't speak ill of the other person on Facebook or otherwise. There are certain rules that go into effect. Find out what you can and can't do and should and shouldn't do. And even if you're able to, you may, you may go on your Facebook account and write really nasty things about your spouse. But should you do it? No. And it will blow up on you. And so you, you don't want that to happen. And, and you don't want to become the bad guy in the eyes of the judge. Because our judges will tell you that, that your lawyers work with you, they get all the details, and they can intricately work on things like a surgeon with a scalpel, right? They can fine-tune things. We'll do a little bit of this. We'll do less of that. We'll make sure you get this, and we'll make sure that happens. The judges solve it. They'll tell you with a meat cleaver. They have hundreds and hundreds of cases. They don't have time to see the intricacies of the case. People will tell me, I want my day in court. And I'm like, do you? Do you know what court is like? Have you ever been cross-examined? Have you ever had to sit up there and, and for example, what Lynn was saying, have one of your angry one o'clock in the morning texts read out loud in a quiet courtroom with a judge and maybe some family members you love sitting there and you're listening to those words that you can't believe you wrote six months ago when you were really mad and felt like you should. So think about what you may, what you can, and what you should do. Last couple things on this point, media, absolutely, boy, you better know your rights. One of the biggest mistakes I, I, I see is the recording that, that Lynn mentioned. Here in Tennessee, it's a two-way rule. Some places it's one, like I know California and Florida. If one person doesn't want it, you can't do it. In Tennessee, it's two-way, meaning when the two people on the phone, any one person could be recording it. Know what you can do. And the same thing last on this point is emails. People think because it's their spouse, they have a right to see everything. Your spouse has a computer and they have not given to you, not you've guessed it, you know, middle name of the third child, but if they've not given to you their, their password, you are not allowed to go in to their email and look around and hunt around. There are ways of getting to that. There are ways of subpoenaing the records, but don't do it yourself. Ask your lawyer when it comes to electronics, what you can and can't do, what you may do and what you should and shouldn't do, or you may be making a big mistake. Privacy is so important. And to Stuart's point about knowing what you should or shouldn't do or may or can or cannot do, know your, know your rights about privacy and confidentiality. What I always recommend to my clients, once you do have a finalized agreement, hopefully that you've resolved on your own and it's not an opinion from the court, because again, you're having your life's work or major decisions about your life and your children made by an individual that does not know you. You could have a 20-year marriage and that judge is going to see just a snapshot. So hopefully you can resolve your divorce outside of the courtroom through mediation or otherwise. But once you have that final agreement, I always advise that my clients put it in a private settlement agreement that does not become public record. And then that document that is the public record is your judgment of divorce, which just incorporates and merges that private settlement agreement. So that way, the record of your divorce is public, but all the details of your finances, your property division, any support that's being paid, custody, parenting time, that can all be kept private. And also, 
if you're turning over sensitive financial information, if you're a business owner, you don't have to just turn that over freely without what we call a protective order. So ask your lawyer, that well-seasoned, specialized attorney, about a protective order, which can protect the exchange of confidential, sensitive financial information. I agree. And, and also make sure you talk to your lawyer about individual states laws, because I will tell you, one of the weird things about divorce is, you know, sometimes federal law, we hear about that. It controls everything. It's the same in Alaska as it is in Maine, as it is in Florida. Divorce law is not that. And so every state has its own nuances, its own law. And so what's totally true in one state may be completely not true in another state. So make sure your lawyer knows the law in your state, because it really can vary. Uh, and sometimes dramatically. Here in Tennessee, we have a lot less protection than Glenn might have in Michigan for some of those things. And there are ways of getting the best protection possible. An experienced practitioner should know that. And that's part of having a good game plan in your divorce. But during the divorce, understand the difference between your rules of marriage and the rules of law. Every couple has their own rules. Some people don't drink at all. Some people drink every day. Some people don't have intimacy. Some people have intimacy all times. Unbelievable the different rules of a marriage. The same things on finances. One person controls, one person can't see or can see. The rules of law are very different. And so ask your lawyer what the rules of law are, because you're going to walk in assuming that the rules of your marriage remain the same as you begin the divorce process. And they just don't. The rules of law trump so things that may be your norm, may be your quote unquote rules with your spouse have been in effect for 10, 20, 30 plus years are out the window. And you may make assumptions about facts, about knowledge, about sharing information that's not true. This really naturally leads us, Lynn, into some post-divorce topics and conversation. Uh, I know you have some experience and thoughts in that regard. With divorce, many times people think simply because they sign and enter a judgment of divorce, they think that that's just the last step and boom, you're done, move on. Well, much of what we do, Stuart, is post-judgment litigation and involvement. Many things can arise post-judgment of divorce. The rare cases, if you have a divorce without children and without any kind of spousal support or alimony, and it's simply a property settlement that is final and binding, there's not much to monitor in, in that way unless there are property settlement payments over time and there becomes an enforcement issue. But when you have a judgment with children, certainly there are several things that you want to be mindful of, perhaps either to minimize the need for attorney and court involvement or to be prepared in the event it becomes an issue. You want to keep very good record. So if you're the payee, the one receiving the, the support of the property settlement payments, the child support, keep very good records. If you're the payor, pay on time, you know, do what you're supposed to do. Uh, sometimes that's out of your hands and it, it operates as in Michigan by a uniform spousal support order or uniform child support order that goes directly to one's employer if you are the payor. However, a lot of times, most of our clients or not most, many have their own businesses and they are controlling the payments. So do what you're supposed to do. You're, you're going to be required to do it at the end of the day. In that way, you're, you're avoiding the cost of post-judgment litigation. 
If you have modifiable spousal support or alimony, which means that it can change according to a change in circumstance, again, just be aware, check in with your lawyer, make sure there haven't been any changes in the law, but also if suddenly you notice that your former spouse has bought a new $3 million house and is taking very expensive, lavish vacations and has a new expensive automobile, that might be an indication that your former spouse's income has increased and you might be entitled to an increase in support. That's a moment in time when you want to contact your attorney and see what your options are. And, you know, tax rules may change as well. So you want to make sure that if it's applicable to the terms of your judgment of divorce, that you're availing yourself of all the financial benefits that you can. Also remember that if modification of support becomes an issue, certainly in Michigan and in many states, and Stuart, I'm not sure about Tennessee, you can comment, please. You cannot modify support retroactively. So any increase in support or decrease, if you're the payor trying to decrease because your income has decreased, cannot be applied retroactively. It can only be applied from the date that you file your motion. So be mindful of timing in those instances. And again, if you know if your former spouse is not doing what he or she is supposed to do, contact your attorney, and that's when you know your state's enforcement procedures will come into play. Stuart, do you do you have anything to add on managing the terms of your judgment of divorce? Thanks, Lynn. I think that's a good summary. I do have a few things. The biggest two issues that I see popping up post-divorce have to do with kids or money. On the money side, Tennessee is just the same as Michigan. The data filing controls. And I see people come to me say, you know, so-and-so started making $50,000 a year or more, got a big bonus. We've been talking about it for two years now, and I'm finally filing something because they're just not doing what they're supposed to do. And I got all the proof together. I did what you told me to. I've documented everything. So now I'm ready to go ahead and get my fair share. And I'm like, not in the past. Same thing you just said, Lynn. It's the date of filing. It's not the date of the occurrence. It's the date of the filing. And one of the things that I tell folks to do is in every one of our sets of post-divorce documents, they'll have a requirement that the parties exchange tax returns. Enforce that. I mean, there's no court that's going to call you up, but you're entitled to see the tax returns of the other party here in Tennessee. And I suggest you do it every year just to make sure. Get the facts before you do uh, take any action in terms of requesting a child support change. So... Stuart, we've talked about post-divorce issues that may arise, and we've, we've made some suggestions on what you can do to be prepared, but that's really the financial side of things. And, and I know that we believe as, as family law attorneys that the human side of it is so important, and it's so important to preserve as much as you can a post-judgment relationship with your former spouse, again, if no domestic violence is present, and doing the best that you can for your kids. But to that end, really avail yourselves of all the external sources that are out there. An exit counseling therapist can be extremely beneficial. It can help parents or simply a husband and a wife or wife and wife or husband and husband navigate how to move forward in the best way possible with the least amount of conflict and pain to all involved. So I can't recommend that enough. These, these careers and these individuals exist for a reason. So 
So please avail yourselves of those external support sources. And really, divorce is one of the worst things you can go through in life. And it's nothing any of us plan on. But I'm here to tell you, and Stuart is here to tell you, and I can promise this, it will get better. You will get through this period in your life. So just hang on to that hope. Be mindful of some of the things that we have talked about and and make sure you find the right attorney. Thanks, Lynn. Uh, yes, you will. You'll get through it. I think one of the things that that helps smooth the, the waters, if you will, a little bit is figuring out the holidays sometimes. And I see a lot of friction about that that's unnecessary. We split up Christmas into two parts. There's all kinds of stuff. But figure out creative ways to celebrate holidays, not necessarily on the holiday, can be the most fun thing ever. My wife and I do Thanksgiving on Friday or even on Saturday now, and it's so much more relaxing. We do it every year. Christmas, Christmas doesn't have to be on December 25th. You know, you can have it early, you can have it late. And I've never once heard a child complain of having two Christmases. I would say as, as Hemingway said, the sun also rises. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of DW Fast Track. Be on the lookout for our next episode of All Things Legal, Admissible, and Trending, or visit our website at www.dickinsonwright.com.